0: Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. It's Roger Abel here with Elias Randall. Elias, how are you doing today?
1: Awesome. Couldn't be better. How's it going? That's your
0: typical response. I'm great. I'm doing good. It's a Friday when we're filming this show, getting ready for a nice weekend. Um, I was planning on going south on the Lake of the Ozarks, but let me tell you what the expected temperatures are for Saturday and Sunday. 103. 105 and 105, Ouch! which means that's a straight-up no-go for me to go hang out uh, at the lake. What, what are your plans to weekend, Elias?
1: Probably stay in the air conditioning or swim in my pool. It's not going to be
0: that hot here, though, right?
1: Yeah. We have over 100 heat index day coming oh, do down really? the pike.
0: Yep. Well, I've got used to it because I've been down to Missouri, and we've had like 10 of them down there. But, uh, you know, I think that... It's funny, those heat days give my wife lots of anxiety about having the girls outside and how hot it is and what time of day we get to be out. I don't know if your wife's like that, but you know, we can't be out between like 10 and 2 on the hot days.
1: Oh, no, but we use sunscreen. I mean, my kids are lathered in sunscreen all summer long.
0: Eli, my kids are the ones that go to the swimming pool with uh, we have the stick with the white under their eye. They look like a ghost. I have the, my my kids are in the sun probably more than anybody, but they're still, like, extremely light-skinned right now because yeah. it's 50 and 70 all day long.
1: Well, and they need the, especially little kids, they need the sunscreen. Yeah. Might, I wear sunscreen all summer, and I get fairly tanned, but you know what I don't like? I don't like getting sunburned. Well. So I always wear, I always wear sunscreen if I'm
0: in the sun. I do now after some of the friends I've had that have had some skin issues in the last two or three years. It's kind of the wake-up call for me. I love to fish and I'm on the water a lot. And two people I know in the fishing world have had some major issues with their their skin from the sun. So it's kind of the wake-up call for me. I used to be the guy that would never wear any sunscreen. And I think that was our generation. I don't think my parents like sunscreen. Well, I guess if you want to. But... All the way through college, I was boating with my family in high school, and we just went out and got fried.
1: Yeah, see, I don't like when you lay down to go to sleep at the end of the night, and then it just feels like your skin is on fire. I do not like that. That only ha- so. that,
0: that always happened to me one time a year, and then after that, it was just we're good. <laughs> but I know that anxiety with a lot of parents and the sunscreens a kind of a real deal. But um, one of the things we thought we'd talk about today are five ways to cope with the recession anxiety which we're starting to hear a lot of talk about but what's interesting is the last 5 or 6 days the markets have been really kind of positive
1: they have and there's been a little more positive trends I guess um I'm not going to call a call a bottom or anything like that but I'm hoping between some of the positive trends we're seeing and then I know at least in our local economy, it seems like inflation's starting to kind of get under control. So I'm not feeling as negative as I was at one point during the year. I think there's actually some more positive news to be had right now.
0: Well, I mean, if you really think about what's really bad in the world right now, it's inflation. That's it. Well, wages have gone up with it too. Most people, during covid a lot of people prospered during covid um it's not like we have a bunch of homes being foreclosed on or you know the dot-com bubble people keep saying there's bubbles we're yet to see it i mean let's think about what really happened the the s&p went down what mid 20s 20 percent 21 22 23 percent from top to bottom somewhere in there
1: Right, but there was certainly, like in high-flying growth stocks, there was certainly a bubble in areas like that.
0: Well, for sure, but if you think about a pullback of 20-ish percent, that's not really the end of the world. It's probably healthy from where we actually came from.
1: Well, yeah, just think if we had another year. on, Let's say we had another 2021 this year, and then next year the market goes down like 30 or 40%. So that would probably be more painful.
0: You'll probably appreciate this. You know, if you told someone they were going to make seven or 8% going into 2022, so before this year happened, they would probably be disappointed with that off of what they've had the last 10 years, right? They're used to double mid double digit returns. So I I think that people also need to remember that if you've been invested the last 10 years, you've had probably a lot of those years, double-digit returns, and you've enjoyed a lot of great years. At some point, we're not going to have a great year. I've, I've always prepped people that I work with. I said, here's the deal. At some point, your account's going to go down in value. I just don't know when. I don't know when it'll be, but it will. It's It's assured. It's going to go down at some point in value. I just don't know when. Then apparently this year's the when. The good news is the year's not over yet. Although, one thing I noticed a lot of the analysts are starting to cut their year end price target for the S&P 500 to kind of bring it back into line with where we are in the markets. But at the end Which of the is day, reasonable. I was listening to a blog or a podcast uh, earlier this week, and they were talking about the accuracy of all of these price targets. 90% of the time, they're all wrong. And this that, is all just pure conjecture, prediction, no buddy knows.
1: That's true in our business, that's true in athletics. It's true in any business where people predict things for outcomes. It's no one's accurate at it. Like the best people making predictions, it's like 50-50. Well, that's a coin flip.
0: If you think about CNBC, which that's what I like to watch. I enjoy watching CNBC during the day. All day, it's basically people coming on giving their opinion and predicting what's going to happen. And if you, I, it'd be curious if someone just go back through like a week of predictions on CNBC and see how random they all are. They're all over the board.
1: Yeah, you, you get the whole spectrum of opinions on there.
0: So how do people, you know, I think that gives people anxiety, and I'm not really going off our outline right here, but I'm just thinking about what creates anxiety for people, and it's uncertainty. Going into this year, people felt really good. Consumer confidence was high. People are positive on the stock market. Now people think it's just the sewer. They don't want anything to do with the stock market. Like, this is the worst thing ever. But they forgot about all this wealth they built the last 10 years if they stayed invested in it. And I heard a good quote that everybody's a long-term investor until they see short-term losses.
1: Where Where did you hear that? I
0: don't remember where I was listening to it, but it was a good it was a very, very good insight. Everybody's a long-term investor until they start to see some short-term losses.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll I'll make a, here's a prediction. I I'll predict that people that people that utilize successful investing behavior and they don't make their investing and how they do it like emotional or chasing trends and chasing returns and all this. I'll predict that people that stick to the basics and the fundamentals on the other side of the spare market will will do better than their peers as investors.
0: I'm sure of that. So there, people, there's
1: a bold prediction for you.
0: I mean, think about times of volatility. We've all seen the charts where if you miss out on the best 10 days or 20 days or 30 days in an investment cycle, how much, I mean, if you miss out on like the 30 best days, I wanna say you lose like 80% of the actual upside of the market. When do the best days come? During Typically the most right vo- after dur- during the most volatility. Yes. So the most volatile times, when are people when do people feel the most anxiety about investing?
1: When the market's very volatile. During volatile voli- Ye- th- this year, a year And like this, this is when they
0: lose the stomach for it. The good news is, I don't think we've had anybody in our sphere of people we work with jump out of the market. Yeah, we've been well, able to Part
1: of it is they're not allowed to. I well, mean, we'll let them we'll let
0: them if they want
1: to, but they know they we, know that we're not for that.
0: But here's what the other thing that's really interesting, I think, about this bear market compared to past. Even 2018, you know, that wasn't a bear market, but that fourth quarter, the S P was down like 18%. People today, I feel like even though this is like the worst start to the stock market, one of the worst starts ever, I don't feel like people are panicking. I think people have gotten used to the volatility. Like like, oh, yeah, well, and they just saw COVID, which was way worse than this. They just saw that. They saw their account bounce back. So you know how we talk about recency bias? Mm-hmm. Well, their recency bias is, oh, this is, no, I mean, this isn't fun. No big deal. It'll come back. Where I always wonder if we didn't have that COVID downturn where they saw their account balance go down 40%, what would their reaction be today? Meaning, if we want, don't have
1: the COVID, if we don't have the COVID downturn, yep. and then we still have the same market in 2021.
0: Yep. So no COVID downturn, markets are clicking along. So this year is the first time they've had a bear market since t- 2008 and nine. So they went 13 years so without any significant pain.
1: Yeah. So you're saying it was like a warm up bear market?
0: It was a warm up. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. That, that's let's actually. Do,
1: let's do that like every five years.
0: No, but think about it. <laughs> If you think about how people operate off their recency biases and all the other things in life, that's exactly what it was. I'm sure if we didn't have COVID, I'm sure there would be way more investor panic about what's going on today than what really is. I mean, most of the people you talk to are pretty calm and they're okay with it. That Wall Street Journal article you referenced in the last podcast or last show. Where investors are like, well, why wouldn't I? I'm buying it at a discount. People didn't say that during the financial crisis. They, I, don't, it, I
1: I don't they know. Didn't. I was I was in college. I'll never that, forget.
0: So. I had a I had a client that I inherited back in uh, in 2009. I'll never forget this conversation. I inherited it from a other advisor, and he had a he had had a variable annuity that he purchased back in like 1989, and had a death benefit on it, and it was one of these that didn't exist. And he called me up older gentleman and he goes, Hey Raj, do we need to go to cash? Should we cash out? I'm like, well, I don't think so. Why, why, why do you want to know? Like, what's your concern? He goes, well, I'm not sure I'll ever live to see the money back. And I said, well, you know what, Ron, you don't have to, because he had a death benefit on his annuity contract. But that con- that conversation resonated with me. Like he was ready to bail out of the market." And multiple people wanted to bail out of the market in 08 and 09. I haven't got that call this year. Like, literally, I haven't got the call this year that says, hey, do you think we should get out of the market?
1: Yeah, COVID, we did. Yeah, we've had some people ask about changing their allocation. Should I become more conservative and stuff like that? But I don't. Yeah, I personally haven't fielded any go-to-cash calls. So, from anybody, we're
0: going to coin the phrase the warm up bear market. That's exactly what COVID was for us.
1: There he goes, a warm up bear market. And really, if you think about this year, here's maybe another reason. This could be another reason people aren't worried, or maybe that's our perception because of the clients we work with and just our day to day operations. But who does this really even matter for? It matters for the, it, it probably matters for someone who, didn't have enough cash in their portfolio or didn't have a distribution strategy but anyone working and still accumulating i mean what's the be- what is bad in the equity market's cooling off for a while for your long-term returns because the lower really the lower they go the higher the prospect is for long-term returns of the new dollars you're putting in
0: if you have shares that you own if you've done any significant planning it's probably not affecting you And it shouldn't. So do you
1: think do you think this environment that there's just do you think there's more even retail clients engaging in financial planning with there has to be more now than there was 20 years ago.
0: Twenty nine percent of people have a financial plan. That's it.
1: That's got to be more than it was in 2001. So
0: here's what's interesting about that. Twenty nine percent. It's almost exactly the amount of people that feel confident. With where they're going financially.
1: So three out of 10 people. Three out
0: of 10 people feel good about where they're going financially. And three out of 10 people have done a financial plan. That's probably, yeah. Pretty probably just accurate. Pretty interesting correlation. It's why we <laughs> talk to people, right. hey, and then we should, and I don't know the numbers of how many people do this themselves versus um, have an advisor. And we talked about this on our radio show. You know, we've been doing that radio show for 14 years. And we talked about this on Tuesday night that- if you're a do-it-yourselfer and you actually went out and built our technology stack, so you went out and bought the exact technology we have, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be a do-it-yourselfer because it'd be cost prohibitive for the amount of money we spend on an annual basis for financial planning technology to get to the results we give to people. You wouldn't be a do-it-yourselfer. That's one. The second part is. If you went out and built that technology stack, the problem is you'd actually have to learn how to use that technology stack. Because if you enter two things in wrong. It doesn't matter. It's garbage. Right. You're spitting out garbage. So the people that actually, you know. Right. And if you
1: don't know enough, you wouldn't even a lot of times if we make a mistake on data entry, there's something that we're like, okay, this doesn't make sense. Well, you have to have a certain amount of knowledge to realize when something doesn't make sense.
0: And, and here's the other thing about the do it yourselfer they think the only thing that matters is fun performance and expense ratios. Yeah, that's it. Right. It's, it's not relevant. It's only relevant to your situation. If you can't quantify what you need, you're literally putting yourself into the bullseye. I would guess the people that feel the most anxiety about a recession, about the bear market, do it yourselfers. They won't admit that. Just like the gambler, they only tell you oh, when yeah. they win. They never tell you how much they lose.
1: Well, yeah, and you only hear about their trades that they that you only hear about their trades that are a triple or home run. They don't talk about their trades that are singles and then the trades where they strike uh, out. No, no t- one talks about that.
0: You know, I haven't heard anybody giving any investment advice recently. You know, people that aren't financial advisors. Last year You were taking advice from the painter. No bag on painters. Just saying like they're not financial advisors. Oh, I heard that XYZ cryptocurrency is going to the moon. That's not happening today. Yeah, I was here's another thing I've seen about Elias. I guess this turned into just my random thoughts of the day, but all the stuff we've seen on social media the past two years where I went from, hey, I'm going to show you how to make 100% return a day. We did that. That uh, Maybe Molly could go back and pull it, but we pulled that um, TikTok video. There was some option strategy. I'm not hearing anything about that anymore. That's over. All the crypto stuff, not hearing anything about that, that's over. All the easy money. You know, the other thing I was watching on TikTok, and this makes me wonder if this is maybe the next shoe to drop, is the last, like, 18 to 24 months, you've seen this resurgence of all of the... Um, systems to like buy rental properties and rent them out. And I watched a video and it was like five guys sitting there and maybe I can find it. And it's like real estate port. And they're all guys like our age, real estate portfolio, 7 million, you know, caption underneath. And then the next guy, it was like, Oh, real estate port- portfolio, 25 million. The next guy was like real estate 45 million. And the next guy was like real estate portfolio, 450 million baller. I'm like, it's not that easy. Like they have to be completely leveraged.
1: That's what I was just thinking is, okay, that's great. You if, Let's say you own f- 7 million of real estate. Well, if the bank owns four of those million, then
0: who cares? It's ba- not like. The bank owns all of those millions because if you've watched <laughs> them. That's what a if- nice
1: deal for the bank.
0: I mean, okay, we've all watched Grant Cardone. He's a great salesman. But yeah. he doesn't own his house. He tells you right out he doesn't own his house because he doesn't want tied-up equity. He rents. But they look at that as, oh, well, I have a property worth 100000 I bought it for, for I bought it for a million. Now it's worth a million five. So what do they do? They suck out all the equity and buy another one. They're just leveraging. Well, what if they can't afford that? Is that the next shoe to drop? Is this like all these highly leveraged people because they went out and watched a video on Facebook you know, TikTok or whatever, like it's cool to own real estate, which real estate's been a great investment over time. Like it's been great. Absolutely. But leverage isn't always good. I think Dave Ramsey was in the real estate business. He was like a millionaire at 24. And the yeah, bank said, oh yeah, by the way, we need you to pay those notes in 90 days. Huh? And they called in all of his notes. And guess what? He went bankrupt. That's how Dave Ramsey started peep- teaching people about finances and how to be successful.
1: Yeah. And I don't think, um, you know, I don't think the takeaway from this conversation should be that we don't think real estate is a good wealth building tool, but in in my mind, I I'd rather be, I, instead of being the guy that has 7 million or $10 million of real estate, personally, I'd rather have like $5 $5 million stock portfolio and three or 4 million of real estate or even 5 million of real estate. Like to me, that's a diversified approach where you're owning different asset classes, which is much more prudent in wealth building than saying, Oh, I just have this, or I just have that.
0: In, in no means do the fundamentals in my opinion, don't support any like housing collapse. I just think of when everybody thinks it's easy. Is it really that easy? And then maybe no. it's just a tick. Finance Once again, is not easy in and, general. And here's the other thing, Elias. Once again, it's just a TikTok video. So who knows what they really have? It could just be like a, the ultimate flex. Yeah. Like it all could be made up. So it goes back to where do you concern consume your information, which I don't put any credence into that. It just got me thinking like, really? All these 40-year-olds, five guys that know each other, and they all have, you know, these giant real estate portfolios, and I'm watching all this stuff online about hey, buy real estate XYZ. This is how you do it. It reminds me of 07 and 08. Remember in 07 and 08 when there was like 30 different home flipping shows on TV?
1: Yes, I do remember the popularity of that. I mean,
0: it was all home, and then guess what happened? That's over. Nobody flipped a house for years.
1: There's still some, isn't there? Isn't there some house flipper shows? Not yet? like
0: back then. There was, because no. like, I watched them. I mean, you know, you'd watch and be like, man, those guys just made $100,000, like having everybody else do the work.
1: Yeah, well, those shows are trash because they don't show you. Ya... They start a project and then they go to a commercial break and then they come back and the whole remodel's done. They don't show you the 15 carpenters and the eight electricians and the whole crew of people and how long it actually took them to do the work. So, yeah, it makes it look glorious, right? Oh, that's great. I can remodel my whole house in a weekend. We no, know. you can't.
0: We know all about it. We do it nice because we do it twice. Yeah, <laughs> that's the motto. Yeah. Um, but so there's a study from Magnify Money uh, that found 70% of Americans believe an economic downturn is on the way. And I don't know what you think about that, but of course there's going to be some type of economic downturn. We're raising interest rates. That's what we're trying to do. I mean, the Federal Reserve is not making this a secret. They're literally telling people, we want to slow the economy. But that doesn't mean it's this cataclysmic event happening. Um, 61% of respondents indicated seeing signs of economic downturn in housing and rent prices. Um, You know, what's interesting about that, Elias, is the housing market in general is slowing. The number of new new home built, new home starts, existing home sales, but actually prices last month held steady and actually ticked up a little bit. So that's it's interesting because there's less inventory, less buyers, but guess what? Prices stayed the same and actually ticked up a little bit. Yeah, I, would, I mean, bar
1: I think barring like a big crisis in the banking or mortgage. Business home prices are fairly sticky. I mean, if you can afford if you can afford your house payment and you don't have to move and you're not being foreclosed on, what's your incentive to sell for less than you bought it for?
0: You're not going to. So here's no, here's no the number. No one's going to take
1: a loss on a perfectly good house.
0: Here's the two number. Here's a few numbers you need to know. And people keep saying, "Is this 07, Is this 08? You know, oh7 and 08, in two thousand eight. There were eleven million dollars. Eleven million adjustable rate mortgages today there's 1 million that's the cause I think, I think cause. you sent
1: me I, I think did you send me an article about that I remember reading yep, about that I did yeah and so that, after I read that I was like this here just shows there should be you there's very low probability of something crazy like that
0: the happening. only way at this point that you're going to see this massive price reduction in housing is that people start losing their jobs well, then you look at the and this is why I said earlier in the show I don't think there's the econo- the numbers there to have this huge housing crisis. Unemployment right now is 3.6%. Hasn't changed. We're at historical lows for unemployment. Although I did listen to and here here's the only thing. We're at 3.6, but there are companies that have basically started saying we are not going to continue to hire, we're laying people off. And remember how we talked about like eight months ago the Great Resignation where people were just quitting their job and switching, because you could. That's over. Yeah, that's yeah, it's changing. That's over. That's changing. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I mean, even if there was like in our local market, even if we had some layoffs, I just don't. I don't see people losing their home, especially when there's there's still jobs available. You might have to go work a job you don't want to have for a while but I can I know for a fact right now like if I if I were to not have a job well there's I can go drive something I could go make pizza at one of the gas stations I could go work at a fast food place like there's there's a lot better options than just giving up your house and most people especially around the Midwest and where we come from they're not going to give up their house just because they need to go find some employment they may not want for a while
0: McDonald's You make $40,000 working at McDonald's.
1: Dude, and I like to cook. I would honestly probably like working there. I probably would. Could you imagine? Frying
0: french fries and cooking
1: cheeseburgers all day. I would probably like
0: doing that. You'd be good at the fries. I'd be good at all of it because I like to cook. you gain 27 pounds. You'd be like, oh, let me test the fries and make sure they're okay. (laughs) Dude,
1: within six months, I would probably gain 30 pounds at least. Oh,
0: I I could never work in a kitchen because I'd be the guy who wants to make sure it all tastes right. And that's just my way to snack all day long. <laughs> oh yeah, let me check that primer. Oh, that's yeah, great. Um, but a couple things here's here's some things and how people are actually preparing for a recession. Sixty-two um, percent of respondents are cutting back on spending, and we brought this up on our on our uh, radio show the other night. In cutting back on spending doesn't mean they're necessarily cutting back, but it could be the shift from I'm buying the brand name. Product and I'm going to the generic. Uh, I don't remember, don't remember who I was talking to, and I don't typically pay attention to prices at the grocery store. But someone I was talking to was buying ibuprofen, and they looked at brand name ibuprofen and the generic ibuprofen. Exactly the same ingredient, half the price. And this person was always a brand name buyer. They went to the generic. So spending less or cutting back just means, hey, maybe I'm not buying. As nice as stuff. My wife likes the Oasis hummus. Have you ever had Oasis hummus? I don't know. Maybe. It's the greatest hummus ever made. Like okay. it's awesome. It's ten bucks for like a sixteen ounce deal. You could buy the Sabra for like three. So people could stop buying the nice hummus and go to the less expensive hummus. Does it all taste back. the same? No, it does not all taste no. the same. No. <laughs> Elias, that's one of those things I'm pretty sure it's not made in the same facility and repackaged. It is significantly is, better. Is it good. It's actually worth, in my opinion, the ex- the extra money. Good. Um, 39% of people are starting to stick to a budget. 26% are building an emergency fund and 24% are working a side gig. The side gig sticks out to me. They're probably working a side gig because prices are higher and they don't want to adjust their lifestyle
1: good I mean that's a good good strategy if you're in that
0: situation Elias how much cash do you think experts say you need to write out a recession I have my own opinion on this but what's your belief so I think in
1: general um, in general I think like a 6 to 12 months of income is a good emergency fund to replace your income but we do have some notes here about what experts uh, what experts say and this is from CNBC so they're saying dual income families should have at least three months of living expenses single earners six plus months entrepreneurs one year and retirees one to three years of cash I think all those are in line with some of I think those are all good pieces of advice you think about an entrepreneur you own your own business and okay an entrepreneur is going to know their business better than anyone right so if it's If you can have monster years and then a year that's not as good and things like that, well, then you can start to decide, you know, is a year of cash enough? Or maybe it's two, depending on the nature of your business and how your business would perform in a recession. Uh, Because there are are businesses that benefit from recessions.
0: There's Uh, two things that stick out to me here. One, the retiree reserves of one to three years of expenses in cash it lines up with exactly what we do in the bucket strategy. It's exactly what we do. Just make sure we have enough money so we don't have to sell in a bear market. Yeah, there may there's gonna be changes in the portfolio, but what we don't wanna do is just cut a branch off the apple tree and stop producing apples. The other thing that sticks out to me, and maybe I need to adopt this, I've never thought about the emergency fund in the context of dual income families and single earners. I've always just, hey, let's have six months of savings. And it, and it makes sense, because if you're a single earner, you don't have anybody else to lean back on. In six months, you probably can get on your feet. At least in that dual income family, the likelihood of both people losing the job at the same time, unless they work at the same place, is less likely.
1: And then there's two. If if it does happen, you have two people job searching, so the odds are higher that one person's yeah. gonna at least find something.
0: So I, I think that's interesting because I've never thought about that emergency fund in the context of a dual income versus a single earner or a household. So yeah, that's I, I generally will say, good advice.
1: I do I do think this dual income family at least three months of living expenses. And I get the what you know all the points we just talked about. I do think that's a little conservative, though. For me, personally, I like to have more cash than that.
0: But. We always talk about six months. That's a reasonable amount that I like, to. People only complain about cash, and the markets are great for 10 years. Whenever they're bad, they're really happy they have their cash. Or like Jonas in our office would say, they have that second spare tire. You, you always need a second spare tire. So, Elias, there's really five ways that we've identified that, that you could try to kind of cope with recession anxiety. The first way is narrow your focus. and I'm going to change the wording of this. Just get a media filter. Don't worry about the things you can't control and just tune out all the noise around you.
1: So I have... This was a good... um, I have a good talking point for this and I wanted to bring it up on the show today. This was we're always going to have distractions. I was thinking about this uh, this morning when I was getting ready for work. We're always gonna have distractions. So if we didn't have a bear market and inflation and potential recession this year, you know what we would have had? A lot more talk about the midterm elections and people would have been worried, well, if this happens, I'm worried the market's gonna tank. If that happens, I'm worried the market's gonna tank. So it's like negativity, du jour, distraction, du jour, whatever you wanna call it. but. If it's not one thing, it's gonna be another. So getting to a point where you just don't even consider the things you can't control, it is I think it's beneficial for your overall well being.
0: That's actually really good insight. You're I'm a exactly insightful right. person. You know, the other thing that probably would happen, we'd still have the Harry Dents of the world telling us how the market's oh, gonna go down eighty percent because they have to be a hero.
1: He would be going off.
0: You know, I just read a. do you watch Graham Stephan still?
1: Um, no, I haven't watched Graham for a long time. Okay.
0: So he just did a video on, uh, Michael Burry, you know, how he's shorted the market and he's, he's right now. Well, he went back and Michael Burry in 2016. And if you don't know who Michael Burry is, he came to fame in the movie, the big short, he famously shorted the housing market. He's two years early, but he was right. Well, since 2016, he said, we're going to have a world financial crisis. And World War Three. well, that was wrong. He's predicted a downturn of the market for the last six years. So it took him six years to be right. So I
1: don't consider that being right. He's not right.
0: If you predict it long enough, you're going to be right. Just like I'm going to predict the market's going to go up and I'll be right sometime. I just don't know when. But I feel like these guys just want to be heroes. Like they want to say, hey, I predicted that it was going to go down.
1: Well, I know. Well, one, Michael Burry's running a fund, right? So he's trying to get flows into his fund. And guys like Harry Dent are selling books. He wants to sell books and subscriptions to his newsletter. That's what he sells.
0: He has to sell books because he couldn't run a fund.
1: Yeah. That's (laughs) That's
0: just flat out the fact. Um, (laughs) Two, meet with a financial advisor. We got to hit this earlier. 54% of U.S. adults said they were somewhat anxious about their finances but that percentage drops to 46 if they actually have a financial advisor. So right. one of the things we talk about with people is just how do we make you feel better when you leave? It may not be the what you want to hear when you come here, right? Well, you could run a plan for somebody and the result isn't what you wanted to hear. But you might feel better because, you know, and you know what changes you have to make in your life. No one feels good if you tell them that to spend 20 percent less to make it work. Like. That's Emotionally, they feeling. don't feel good. But mentally, they're like, well, at least I know. How many people are in retirement? And they're like, man, I don't know what I can spend. It just paralyzes them. They do nothing. Plenty of people. Most. Yep. Three, do a worst case scenario. That's basically running a Monte Carlo analysis. Stress test your financial plan. Find out what the worst case scenario is for your circumstance. And then if you can live with the worst case scenario, Okay. But I don't know how someone would do a worst-case scenario without a planner.
1: I would want to see what the worst-case scenario is. I mean, I don't know what the validity would be or how you, right, how would you even come to a worst-case scenario for yourself without some sort of technology or a way to factor variance or even a way to model a worst-case scenario? How do you do it?
0: I'm sure there's some really smart people that could build their own computer model to do it. But for 99% of the people out there, you're gonna have to rely on somebody else to do it. And that's why we set the website up. If somebody wants help, you know, looking at their worst case scenario, you can go to btwellshow.com and click get started. We're happy to help. For Elias, this is just in anything, when you're feeling anxious, just take a moment, take a breath. You know, if you're sitting there and you're worried about the stock market's doing and you just got done watching CNBC and all the world gloom and doomers are on there, just take a breath. It's going to be okay. The sun is going to come up in the east, it's going to set in the west. It's going to be a new day tomorrow. I've I've had the saying for a long time. It's never as good as it seems and it's never as bad as it seems. It's always somewhere in the middle.
1: And I I've actually implemented this especially this year because there's been certain You know, I've considered buying some different funds and things that I haven't bought in the past just because, just like everyone else, oh, it's down. It's really down in value. I wonder if that can make a comeback. And we get, we're just inundated with emails of ideas and, you know, watching CNBC all the time and staying up on the news. But I implemented a rule that I'm at least, if I think it's a good idea, I'm going to wait at least 24 hours and i haven't implemented any crazy ideas this year because i have a time barrier that i'm not going to act on anything and i just i it, after i give it some time i decide you know what i know what i'm doing is going to work i'm not going to buck the system now
0: i think the 24 hour rule is really good so i use that for a long time i use the 24 hour rule of spending and here's how i did it and I like, to. I'm buy. shocked to hear that I like to buy toys. So this is back. I had originally set up an ING orange savings account back in 2002 when I started working and that was pretty like cutting edge to be banking online, but they were paying 5.75% interest in the savings account. I'm like, this is awesome. It's in 2002, 2003. So I'd keep majority of my money there and I'll never forget this in 2002. 10 or 11, I still was using it, but I think at that time it then converted to Capital One 360. So Capital One 360 was ING Orange Savings, okay? And I'd wanted this new ice fishing depth finder. It was like a thousand bucks, 700 bucks, somewhere in there. And I kept most of my money in ING. Three years in a row, I drove down to Shields. I'm like, I'm gonna go buy that depth finder. I went and looked at it. I'm like, man, I gotta go transfer the money. So I drive home, I never, by the time I thought about transferring the money, I forgot about that debt finder. Three years before I actually bought it. But I think the- Yeah, I don't the,
1: see you taking three years to make a purchase now. Well, cause
0: I don't utilize that account anymore. It's just too easy. Yeah, I can slide the card, but I promise, I mean, you think about most people, their purchases, their decision making, the things they do in life. If they just said, unless it's like, I have to have it to survive today, I'm gonna wait 24 hours before I do anything, it removes all of the emotion, lets you really sink in what you're doing. Yeah, take I, a moment, I, I like take your, a moment. I like your insight there, Elias. And number five, expand your frame of reference. When the market sells off and everything looks really bad, just remember you're a long-term investor. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday or today you know, we had someone the other day asking if we should wait to invest the money to get a better entry point. And I said, but I don't know if there will be a better entry point. There might be, likely will be, but I don't know. And in 10 or 15 years, whether you bought the S&P 500 at 3950 or 3800, that one deposit is not going to make a difference. It won't.
1: And the other thing I like about expanding your frame of reference and the notes that Uh, it notes like charts of the week and charts of the day. And there's no, I just want everyone to understand there's no single indicator of market movement that exists. If there was, everyone would use it. So, but if you can do all those things, help your perception and your understanding of the, of the environment and what's going on. Yes, they do. But that's how all that information should be used to, to gain perception, not to make um, not to make long-term investing decisions.
0: Yeah, that, that's very, very good insight. Elias, I want to thank you for today. We had a good show. Any closing remarks?
1: Um, nope. I've said I've, I've had all the insight that I can handle today from myself. So,
0: With that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you're looking for some help, you can go to btwelshow.com, Click Get Started